Hitting the big 4-0-0. Welcome to Hand the Pod. Welcome, one and all, to episode 400 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by Andres. Hello, welcome. English Dan. Good evening. And Tony. Hello, guys. We're recording episode 400 um, two or three weeks later than we expected to, uh, because we went back into lockdown very shortly after we recorded our last episode, and it sort of just took away my motivation to really do very much apart from knuckle down with work um so apologies for that but it, there also wasn't really an awful lot to talk about because the copa de la liga uh also went into lockdown at the semi-final stage the semi-finals got delayed by i think about a week and a half in the end or a week or something like that um and obviously the final ended up being played later than was originally scheduled as well i think that when we last spoke We've played the semi- the quarterfinals um, already. I seem to remember we reviewed uh, those three, four penalty shootout um, matches, two nil-nils and one-one-one. Uh, two nil-nils and, and two one-ones, I should say. Um, but the semis were... We're just going to race through the results quickly, really. We're not going to go into a lot of detail about the semifinals, but they were scarcely any more thrilling. Uh, Racing versus Boca was uh, nil-nil. It was the first one to be played and Racing ended up winning 4-2 in the shootout. Uh, And then immediately afterwards, or almost immediately afterwards, and in the same stadium, uh, both matches were played in the Bicentenario in San Juan, if I remember correctly. Am I remembering that right? Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Independiente played Colón and Colón won 2-0 by virtue of just being a better team than Independiente, really. You're probably all glad that Santi's not here to tell us about why that is for 20 minutes again. Um, With goals from very early on, or, well, early-ish, from Luis Rodriguez, and uh, then just over an hour in by Santiago Pierotti, which set up a final between Colón and Racing. And uh, unfortunately, Dan is here to spend 20 minutes telling us about why Colón are much better than Racing. Um, they won 3-0. Rodrigo Aliendro just before the hour. Christian Bernardi um, about 15 minutes after that. And then Alexis Castro putting a gloss on the scoreline uh, late on, which was, I mean, I, I find it difficult to say it wasn't deserved. As I say, Colón were clearly the better team, in, in my opinion. I don't know what you'd make of it, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh... He can't really argue um, about the result. Possibly 3-0 was a bit of an exaggeration, but not particularly. Uh, I must say, it all felt very inevitable. If you don't have a shot on target, it's pretty difficult to win football matches. And Racing had already managed it twice in the uh, in the Copa Liga 
playoffs and I think to try and do it for a third time was really pushing their luck a little bit. Um, to be honest, I mean, you've all heard me talk about Racing uh, quite a bit this year, obviously, and uh, you could probably guess from my time through most of that year that uh, they have it. they're not very good. Uh, they got a few decent results recently, especially in the Copa Libertadores, um, which I can't remember either. I can't remember. I wasn't on the last recording. Uh, so they got through, you know, to the Libertadores last 16 without too much hassle. But um, they were, yeah, that that game against Colón, they were just clearly the second best team. Uh, they'd already punched way above their weight, in my opinion, by even getting to the final, I don't think. I think they were very lucky even to get into the playoffs to start with. Um, they had to actually play a decent match to do it, which was um, quite unexpected. But this was definitely a, a return to type, let's say, for, for Pizzi's Racing. And yeah, I'll just say I was I was very happy for Colón. It was their first ever major national title um, in what 109 years of trying and then... We had all sorts of fun and games with Cologne fans and their wild celebrations afterwards. And it was also the very first title for, um, for friend of Hand of Pod, or at least he's our friend. I don't know if we're his friend. Uh, Luis Miguel El Pulgar Rodriguez, um, 36. He's been a great player for so many years in the Primera. And you could just, I mean, you just look at his little face when he won the title. He was so happy and... And he got presented with the world's biggest beer afterwards by the um, by the commentators, and and proceeded to spill it everywhere. Um, yeah, just despite the disappointment of Racing not being able to hold on to a clearly undeserved title, it was good to see it probably go to the team who pound for pound played the best in the first half of 2021. I don't know what you guys think, and and definitely to see. Pulga get the uh, the recognition he so richly deserves. I'm sure Tony thinks differently. <laughs> I was saying we talked about this with Tony uh, a few times privately. Like uh, I think Tony was far more upset than I was about this result. Yeah, I <clears throat> definitely was. I I I have two ways to to think about this. Obviously, as a uh, Union supporter, I obviously hate this. Um, after the game finished, I just I was I was watching the the game with a with a friend, and as soon as the game finished, I turned off the the what flow and went to the PlayStation to you know kill people. Um, but also I do recognize the work of Dominguez. Um, the good football Colón has played during the Copa. I think they were a little bit from from higher to lower in terms of quality of football. I think they play a lot better um, at the beginning. Then they have some problems. I, I know that one of the kids uh, had COVID and the, the, the parent, the, one of the parents died or something like that. Um, so they, they did overcome a lot of stuff to begin with being a team from, from an interior. You know, uh, you don't have the same resources and you don't have the same uh, attention. Um, and uh, for the sake of the Colon supporters, I hope they keep the, the, the project going um, because I think they they got something good with Dominguez. Um, and if the, the board is willing to support 
him and his vision in the way that he wants to be supported. I think they, they will, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if win titles, but uh, be in the conversation uh, and solidify a team that, to be honest, a couple of years ago, they were in the mud with the way they were run. So I think it's, it's good for them. And I, I envy, envy them a little bit because we had a, mm-hmm. like, a good manager supported by the board. We could, we could be, I mean, I thought for a moment we, we were in that way with two Sudamericanas um, qualifications, uh, but then they got rid of Madelon and they kept selling players for cheap. So you see the difference when you, when you, you support your manager and you believe in the vision that the manager has, you can do good things, maybe not win a title, but clearly teams like, like Colón, Defensa y Justicia, Atlético Tucumán, if you, support a vision even if with the change of manager and you keep on the same ideas um even if you don't have the the resources of Volcan river you can you can do good things yeah i was gonna say because Colón, even if we go back to just over a year ago they were in an absolute state i mean it's come out of nowhere i'm just i can't remember exactly how they did um i think in the night 2019-2020 superliga they were awful, right? Yeah. Ah, yeah. 23rd out of 24th. I mean, uh, tied with Gode Caruso at the bottom, which is a place nowhere wants to be. No one wants to be. Uh, obviously, for some of that, their sort of Manicana final campaign got in the way. But I mean, it, was, it wasn't a team where you'd kind of look at them at the start of 2021 and think, eh, you know, they could spring a surprise. Um, I think of all the Colón teams, it's probably one of the one of the least likely to, to win a Copa, right? considering how they've been doing the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, yes, <laughs> basically, yeah. It, it's it's Colón's first national title. Uh, it's not a league title, of course, in spite of what one of the TV commentators was trying to make happen uh, during the second half of the match. Um, it could have been. It was supposed to be until about two weeks before the, the season kicked off, uh, but it isn't, which means that uh, they don't get to call themselves champions of Argentina. That's still Boca Juniors, but I'm incredibly excited to inform you all um, that in a few episodes' time, when we come back for the new domestic season uh, after the winter break, we will presumably have an actual league title to talk about again, um, having not had one for 18 months between the pandemic and then the AFA refusing to hold the top flight league competition uh since we came back um so yeah congratulations to colon i think we should also uh just have um a minute to talk about the very very south american or argentine uh moment in between those two semi-finals at the same stadium which was Nobody informing Independiente's coach driver that Racing versus Boca had gone to spot kicks and therefore was going to drag on for a bit longer. So that he turned up with Independiente's team uh, almost exactly as Racing's lot were leaving the stadium. And there were entirely stereotypical and perhaps if you want to um, talk like that, then a bit predictable uh, results. There was uh, some... I would hasten to uh, state it's not really a running battle, but uh, it got called a running battle in a few places anyway. Um, but there were some fisticuffs as, as people piled off the buses and wanted to show what uh, very testosterone-filled men they were by uh, punching each other, 
which was certainly entertaining for those of us who managed to see the video that, that got leaked by a few bystanders who managed to, to film it. It was thoroughly entertaining. Um, Dan mentioned the Libertadores, and actually I think that the Copa Libertadores group stage might have ended uh, since we last recorded as well. I was just checking out the dates. We're not going to go through all of those matches. Uh, and of course, we'll talk about this in more detail when the Copa reconvenes for the knockout round. But we may as well just clarify now, just state who's gone through. Um, so the last 16 of the Libertadores is going to be Boca Juniors versus Atletico Mineiro, River Plate versus Argentinos Juniors. The winners of those two last 16 ties will play one another. So you know what that means we're expecting in the in the quarterfinal. Um Olimpia versus Internacional, San Paulo versus Racing, Vélez will play Barcelona of Guayaquil, uh, Cerro Porteño of Paraguay versus Fluminense, Universidad Católica of Chile uh, versus Palmeiras, and Defensa y Justicia versus Flamengo. Um, the first legs are going to be played, oh, the week of the 14th of July, that's so pretty much as soon as the Copa America ends. Um, the Copa Libertadores gets going again um, and we'll talk about it in more detail as I've already said when we uh, come back I imagine when we review the Copa America we'll preview the Libertadores group stage the Sudamericana group stage draw has also been made and it sounds I think it's been made anyway just, just, that might be a slightly dangerous thing to say without checking first uh, yes it has the last 16 of the Sudamericana is going to be Nacional of Europe oh wow Nacional versus Peñarol uh, the Super Clásico Uruguayo, Independiente del Valle versus Bragantino, uh, Sporting Cristal versus Arsenal de Sarandí, a team who uh, Sofa Score tells me are called DTA, uh, Deportivo Táchira versus Rosario Central, Liga de Quito versus Gremio. That's um, apart from the Uruguayan tie, that's probably the tastiest looking of those. Uh, Atlético Junior versus Libertad. Santos versus Independiente and America de Cali versus Atletico Paranaense. Um, those are your Sudamericana fixtures. Um, anybody know when the, uh, the um, I was going to say Superliga, but it's not, is it? When, when the Liga Profesional de Football uh, kicks off. Do we have a date for it yet? I'm assuming we don't. Not a clue. No, my app here is still just showing me the fixtures that uh, ended in March last year as the, uh, the most recent days. So I'm imagining that the AFA just haven't announced anything yet, which would be completely in keeping with the way that they generally do things. Um, this is going to be a very short first half if we can't think of anything else to say, gents. Anybody want to jump in with any observations? Only really having three or four matches to talk about since the last time we recorded and not being able to fully remember them very well is not the best recipe. Um, we had some World Cup qualifiers, if, unless you want to bundle that in with the... Oh, Cup we America did, didn't really? we? I'll tell you what, actually, it's just occurred to me. Tony, would you mind giving us um, a bit of an update on what's happened in the women's... Um, not a good time, Sam. Not a good time. <laughs> and <laughs> then we'll, we'll talk about the internationals after that. Um, well, um, yesterday Racing Club uh, lost 3-1 against Gimnasia de la Plata, sealing, um, basically sealing uh, that they won't get into the quarterfinals 
that was um, effective today with um, El Parvenir winning 3-0 against Lanús and uh, Deportivo Español winning 3-1 against Social Atlético Televisión, I think it is. Commiserations, yeah. Tony. Um, <laughs> um, on the other, another zone, um, Patense won against Villa San Carlos, two against one. Independiente win one, three, nil against Estudiantes La Plata, and Huracán won today for one against Comunicaciones. This tournament was stopped, um, coming back to uh, the beginning of the podcast, where you said that we were into lockdown again, so there was um, like a, a short, brief uh, stop of uh, the matches being played. Um, at the moment, Boca, San Lorenzo, Gimnasia de la Plata, and El Porvenir are the teams qualifying in the zone A. Boca and San Lorenzo has, have a team in ha uh, a game in hand because they have um, players in the international window playing for their, their national teams. So they will uh, fight for each other, I suppose, for the first spot. And on the zone B, River and Guayurquiza with 21 points, both are pretty much clear because on in third we have Independiente with 14 and on fourth Platense with 13. Osario Central and Huracan have 11 points, so I think they can uh, still have uh, some chances to qualify for the final round, which we really don't know when it's going to be played, but a couple of good matches um, that surely are going to uh, seal the, the fate of a couple of teams especially the ones that still are not clear to be sure they will get into the, into the last round. Thanks, Tony. Um, yes, and then as Dan says, World Cup qualifiers back with the men's game. Uh, Argentina have played two of those, as you would expect them to have done uh, during the current international break uh, in the build-up to the Copa America. So we haven't had any preparatory friendlies, which has been quite a nice change really because from what I remember of Argentina playing friendlies prior to big international tournaments in the past it's always been friendlies against teams who without meaning any disrespect to them um, you'd expect Argentina to thrash every single time so actually seeing some competitive football has made quite a nice change. Um, those it's very matches, harsh in Nicaragua sir very harsh. Yes in Canada which um, I remember team. rightly back in 2010 I think I went to Argentina v Canada before the 2010 World Cup um, and the fact that I can't fully remember what would have been the first Argentina match I attended um, ought to give you an idea of just how much of a brilliant spectacle it was. Um, those matches were at home in, in spite of Chile's protests in San Juan, in the Bicentenario, again, the same stadium that hosted the semifinals of the Copa de la Liga. Um, Santiago del Estero, so. Oh, sorry, of course. Yes, it was at the new White Elephant Stadium, wasn't it? It's so difficult to keep track of all of them. Um, at home in Santiago del Estero, now Chile had um, protested this a few days in advance because uh, apparently they need to be, matches need to be held in a stadium that's within a couple of hundred kilometres of the nearest international airport or something, and, and it wasn't. Uh, but they managed to get there anyway. And that match finished 1-1. Uh, and then I'm trying to find the bloody thing on this app first of all so I can talk about it a bit more comfortably but anyway um, where is it South America and then they played away to Colombia and flew into a very early lead and also had to settle for a draw uh, in a rather more dramatic game it was um, a kick in the balls late on from it wasn't Luis Muriel was it who scored the the equaliser 
it was come on i found it load please <laughs> it was miguel angel borja um who scored colombia's late equalizer uh i think that the should we do like a rather than just go back over the matches should we should we do winners and losers in terms of individual argentine players from the two matches because i think the biggest winner yeah i think that's more fun has to be doesn't it christian romero who was yes, probably absolutely. the best player on the pitch not called lionel messi against chile um and then opened the scoring three minutes in with a header from a, a free kick against colombia yeah i mean it's a close run thing because it, if if he'd have ended that match with a torn muscle as was originally feared and miss a whole cup of america he'd say he's the biggest loser but since he avoided Serious injury, you could, uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, fantastic. Two games from Romero, look really comfortable at the back, like very few Argentina defenders have ever done, at least in the last 20 years or so. Um, and long may he stay there if he's gonna if, if he's gonna play like that. And on the same topic of avoiding catastrophe, I think without a doubt, the other big winner was uh, Emiliano Martinez, who didn't manage to played both games, like Romero, he came off right at the start of the second half of Colombia, right? Uh, when Argentina were 2-0 up, he, he tangled with Jerry Mina, and that's always a dangerous prospect. Uh, hit the deck really hard on the head, uh, but he's since received a clean bill of health, so you'd think, um, despite Franco, I've had 70 million coronavirus positives uh, coming back, he's going to be number one, right, in the Copa? You would hope so, yeah. Um, yes. It was in the 40th minute, uh, and then there was a hell of a lot of extra time. Ah, even before half time, yeah. Stoppage time, yeah. Um, oh. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Franco Armani, as we will discuss after the break, Franco Armani is in the squad um, for the Copa America, as Dan says, in spite of testing positive almost consistently well no in fact very consistently um it's been like once a week for the last two months or something it's yeah it's, amazing it's getting quite ridiculous and yet scaloni yeah. clearly likes him as i don't know a member of the group uh i presume but it has given emiliano martinez this this opportunity and hopefully he'll be able to um he'll be fit to take it and to continue taking it during the copper i mean it was just novel to see an argentina keeper come out and claim a cross hmm. you know i'm not asking for the world but it's been very long since I've seen someone do that with any kind of authority. So for that alone, um, yeah, brilliant. Although given what happened to him immediately afterwards, maybe it'll put him off wanting to do it again. You reckon our money was at home saying, see, see, that's why yeah. I don't come out for crosses, you fucking idiot. Tapping himself on the forehead. And, Indeed. Uh, looking at an imaginary have, camera, yeah. I have no doubt that's what, what his reaction was. I, I can't help but think that another of the biggest losers, and I find it slightly difficult to to blame him um himself for it is lucas martinez cuarta who i didn't think did an awful lot wrong against chile but who scaloni no. clearly didn't really fancy very much and it resulted in nicolas otamendi um being straight back into the starting lineup against colombia and unless i'm very much mistaken playing the whole match uh, yes, indeed. Although I do think, uh, from what I understand, uh, Otamendi was always going to come back in the second match against Colombia. That was like a he was decision. suspended against Chile, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. that was a decision that Scaloni was was always going to take, unless 
perhaps, I don't know, Martinez Cuarta had the best game ever seen of an Argentina defender, maybe that would have uh, kept him in. But as far as I know, the plan was always to bring uh, Otamendi back. And true to form, he went and gave away a, a really stupid penalty, which was brilliant. Just, just ridiculous. Early in the second yeah. half, Argentina were largely in control of the game. As I said earlier, they'd been they'd gone 2-0 up very early on, three uh, three minutes in with the first goal from Cristiano Romero and then Leandro Paredes um, doubled the lead about three minutes after that. And yeah, sort of five, six minutes into the second half, Otamendi, under a cross that was swinging away from both of them as well. I mean, it's not, yeah. even if you're the most cynical person in the world and you're like, no, you've just got to put in a reducer, let them know you're there. There was just no need to do it at all. It was just... Absolutely no need either for Otamendi. Like, he wasn't under pressure and Argentina weren't under pressure because up to that moment, Colombia had had absolutely nothing in the game. They they weren't even in it. Um, but they get that penalty, yeah, five minutes into the f- second half and suddenly they smell blood and it made and it made the second half extremely uncomfortable for, for Argentina. I mean, they should have held on. Um, it was very uncomfortable, as I say, uh, but they came very close until, I think, to neatly segue uh, before the intervention of, I think we can all agree, equally is uh, the biggest loser of the week. You mean Boyd? Indeed. Juan Foyt. Of course, yeah. Poor lad. Who um, kind of, it wasn't even kind of dribbled out. He sauntered out from the back in the 95th minute. Um after Argentina sort of desperately cleared their lines um, about 20 seconds before the full-time whistle was going um, was gonna um, gonna blow, just dawdles out, gets caught in position in possession, uh, wanders back to his penalty area very very uh, casually, decides not to mark uh, Borja, and watches as Borja gets behind him and and heads in, and. That is why he went from starting right back against Chile to out of the Copa America squad entirely, and which is a bit harsh. But I mean, you know, if you put him beside, I don't know, Otamendi for, for international mistakes, you think he'd still have a bit of credit, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not consistent, is it? Not that we necessarily need Not to entirely. ask, you know, managers are only human and they're always going to have their own preferences, but um, it does seem very, very strange. Um, yeah. It has to be said that probably man of the match for Colombia v Argentina was David Ospina, mm. the Colombian goalkeeper who Fantastic managed. Match. I'm trying to reel this off off the top of my head now. Two really good saves from Lionel Messi free kicks. Uh, one save, if I remember rightly, from Messi in open play. One very good save from Nicolas Gonzalez, uh, and one from was it Lautaro Martinez? Lautaro as well, yeah. Um, yes. Most of which were in, one of the Messi free kicks was in the first half, but all the others were in the second. And Argentina, I mean, I think Seba, I think it was Seba who said it in our WhatsApp group said, said that if it had finished four or five one, uh, then it, it wouldn't have looked tremendously out of place. Uh, it, it was it was inspired stuff from Ospina. Yes, absolutely. Very, very good shot stopper as he's proved, you know, throughout his career with with uh, Colombia. Andres, you were going to say something, I think. 
No, yes, that uh, I agree with you that with the two saves from Lautaro, I think the first, the one in the first half was more difficult. The second one, I think Lautaro didn't shoot the ball properly, but he, even though it was a, a long shot, a downward shot, so uh, it was also difficult. But yes, Pina was clearly the, the man of the match there. Mm. The midfield looked like it was ticking over uh, fairly well. Paredes and Depau. I think it, it's very difficult to remember now, but I seem to remember like a year and a half ago before the pandemic hit and when the World Cup qualifiers were going ahead as planned and everything, that we sort of were agreeing that those two looked like the, the nexus of, of the future of Argentina's midfield. And, and so it's continued. Um, Giovanni Lo Celso, I, I, I thought, was perhaps struggling to, to keep up with his two partners um, at times. But otherwise, that's fairly promising and you would I mean I'd still go for Lo Celso over Di Maria who again unfortunately as we'll talk about in a few minutes uh is in the squad for the Copper. but um yeah other than that I think it's time for a break shall we I think sorry Sam no I, I was going to say that yes the other loser is of course Ocampos uh who also paid for not playing well one match, I, I think, against Chile, and and yes, that's another thing. I I, I or I think we don't understand about the the, the list of the for Copa America, uh, including like you said, Di Maria and Norto Campos, for example. Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. Uh, well remembered. I had I'd, I'd completely forgotten about Campos actually, which again shows you how uh, ordinary. He was. Um, the Chile game, by the way, we've not gone into much detail, but the goals there were Lionel Messi from a penalty uh, after 24 minutes and Alexis Sanchez um, from a, I think I remember it being quite a smart little move from Chile, albeit one of the only things that they really managed to create um, about 12 minutes later. Um, and now I think we'll take a half-time break. And when we come back, we will talk about Argentina's squad for the Copa America. We'll talk about, I guess, what we think the starting eleven might look like. And I, spoiler alert, I don't think that Scaloni is going to go with, for the same starting eleven two games in a row. Um, and we'll, we'll, of course, answer some of your listeners' questions on this 400th episode of our little podcast. So don't go away. Okay, the Copa America is kicking off, not in Colombia and Argentina, and not in Argentina, but in Brazil. Um, you've probably all heard about it already, but you know, since we're being completist here, we'll just go over it. Um, the Copa was taken off Colombia a few weeks ago, as we discussed at the time, due to the unrest over there. It was originally going to be played then. Well, originally it was going to be played in Colombia and Argentina, of course. Um, the next plan was for it, the whole thing to be played in Argentina, uh, but the government were there were basically internal disagreements um, on the part of the various people in the Argentine government about whether um, certain levels of restrictions should be relaxed for the the matches to take place, whether it ought to happen or not, 
Comebel weren't able to receive the assurances they wanted. So they looked for another country who were happy to do it. And uh, Brazil, well, not everybody in Brazil uh, was or indeed is happy to do it, but Brazil's president was delighted about it. Um, being the uh, propaganda happy man that he is. Um, and so for the second time in a row, the Copa America is being held in Brazil. Funnily enough, it was also held in Brazil the only previous time that a Copa America was delayed due to a pandemic, uh, which was the Spanish flu epidemic. The What was supposed to be the 1918 Campeonato Sudamericana ended up uh, being the 1919 Campeonato Sudamericana, and that too was held in Brazil. Uh, one thing that this does do, of course, at least if you pay attention to the historical form book, is it makes it much, much, much more difficult as a competition for everybody involved who is not Brazil, because Brazil have won all, I think it's five, of the Campeonatos or Copas that they have hosted. Um, and it certainly uh, feels from, from over here as if Argentina's hopes uh, have been dashed considerably. Because can you imagine, after Seba keeps saying on the WhatsApp group, <laughs> Jair Bolsonaro saves the Copa America for Conmebol and they thank him by allowing Lionel Messi to lift the trophy in the Maracanã. Not going to happen, is it? Um, but anyway, as a result, the schedule has been uh, moved around. So it's kicking off uh, with Brazil versus Venezuela. I think that the original first match was going to be Argentina versus Chile, but I can't remember. It might have been the Colombian one, mightn't it? Um, in the Mané Garrincha uh, in Brasilia uh, on Sunday. Yes, on Sunday uh, at 6pm Argentine and Brazilian time. We're in the same time zone, which if you're in the UK is 10pm. And if you're in the United States, I think you're two hours behind at the moment. So that'll be 4 p.m. on Sunday. Um, commentary will be provided if you get the global English language feed by a familiar pair of voices, because Peter, uh, Peter Coates is doing most of the matches. And they're desperate enough that I've been roped in to do a few of them as well, starting with Argentina versus Chile on Monday night. So if you do hear me, uh, please be kind, because I'm absolutely bricking it at the moment. But anyway... This isn't about me. This is about Argentina's squad and the mistakes that Lionel Scaloni has made in naming it. Uh, the squad is, I've managed to get it, oh, there it is. I lost the tab that it was on. Uh, it's as follows. The goalkeepers are Franco Armani, who is allowed to travel, but isn't allowed to play. So God knows why he's in. But anyway, uh, Emiliano Martinez, Agustin Marquesin and Juan Musso, who is probably the least likely I think possibly even less likely to play than Armani, given Scaloni's predilections. Um, the defenders are Gonzalo Montiel, Nicolas Otamendi, Germán Petzela, Nicolas Tagliafico, uh, Lucas Martínez Cuarta, Mar uh, Marcos, I was going to say Martín Acuña, Lisandro Martínez and Cristian Romero. Uh, Nahuel Molina is uh, sort of, I guess he can play fullback or midfield, so he's somewhere between the two. They haven't bothered to break it into who's playing in which position. And then the definitely midfielders, uh, Leandro Paredes, Guido Rodriguez, Giovanni Lo Celso, Ezequiel Palacios, uh, Alejandro Dominguez? I've forgotten his first name. I've only got surnames to go on here. Angel Di Maria, Rodrigo De Paul, uh, and Alejandro Gomez. Uh, the forwards are Angel Correa, uh, Nicolás González, Lionel Messi, Lisandro Martínez, uh, Javier Correa, so both of the Correa brothers are there. They're not really brothers, don't write in. Uh, Julian Alvarez and Sergio Aguero. 
what do we make of the list, gents, apart from Armani's involvement, which we've already talked about a little bit earlier on? Well, I think it's quite uh, as expected with the cases we have already mentioned uh, the, the, that Foyt is not there because of that silly mistake against uh, Colombia, then uh, Lucas Ocampos, who is not there because he played awfully uh, the match against Chile. Then I think we, we of course, uh, uh, could say that uh, Christian Romero was a total surprise for, for most supporters, not perhaps for the ones who follow him playing in Italy, uh, in fact, being mentioned as the as the best uh, centre-back in, in, in Serie A in Italy. Uh, so then it's, I think we could say it's mostly the, the, the list we uh, all expected it was going to be. Yeah, particularly looking at how it was suspected Scaloni would, um, would pick the names, right? Dan, go on. Yeah, I was just going to agree with Andres. Not a huge amount of surprises. Probably uh, all of us here personally would have rather seen kind of the last of the the old guy. Well, not quite the last, but the guy guys like Otamendi and Di Maria. We weren't being too upset to see them miss out. But I guess you can make the argument that you know it's a long tournament and. And over the over the course of the month, their experience could be useful. Um, is that fair enough? Even if we're not completely convinced, you know, like playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, I think I think that you could say that certainly for Di Maria, who, from the look of the two teams who, who you know played against Chile and Colombia in the recent World yeah. Cup qualifiers, isn't going to be starting. Uh, if Otamendi is first choice, I think it becomes a bit harder to defend on that basis. If that makes sense. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I'd rather see Otamendi as as a guy who's going to sit on the bench behind Romero and Martina Cuarto, or Romero and Lisandro Martinez, or Romero and no, uh, behind those two, I think they'd probably be my my preferred um, centre back permutations. Um, so if he's coming along as a as a sub, I can't really argue too much, uh, but. I think from what we've seen from the last game, at least, and from recent history, from what he did for Porto in the last um, year or so, uh, you don't really want to be in a situation where you're depending on his defending and intelligence to, uh, to win crucial games. And then Julian Alvarez is there uh, in replacing Alario, who finally won't travel because of his injury. Uh, and the, the key of, of this situation is that uh, uh, precisely Alario was in the list because Julian Alvarez hadn't been in the list in the previous one. So uh, the only way for Julian Alvarez to, to be in the list was for Alario to be first and then uh, to replace him uh, like happened right now. Yeah, I think um, looking at that, it's going to mean a, a very busy tournament for Lautaro Martinez, who is one of only two real natural number nine centre-forwards I can see in that squad, um, alongside Aguero, who spent the rest most of the last season injured, um, is probably fairly off the pace, and I don't know how how well he'll be able to, to come in. I'm sure he will get uh, a fair few minutes in the Copa America, but as Lautaro's um, replacement. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of pressure on on the inter on the inter player who's um, you know at this point completely undisputably Argentina's first choice at number nine. He's um, he's doing well. He's playing well with uh, Messi. I thought he played well with Messi over the um, over both games, even if the goals didn't quite come and he had a fairly frus- frustrating uh, time of it against Colombia, thanks to Ospina and and a couple of other near misses. Uh, that's going to be absolutely key for Argentina, keeping him fit. And because if you're in a situation where he goes down and, and you have to rely on Aguero to, to play 90 minutes of every single game at centre-forward, that's going to be very, very tough indeed. Yeah, you want to be able to bring Aguero on perhaps late on in, in tight matches yeah. and see absolutely. whether he can nick one. And if not, then just to give, give Lautaro a rest, really, don't you? As much as yeah, I mean, we have to remember this uh, This group stage is going to be uh, four games long for all of the teams and and the top four teams qualify from each group. So it's definitely going to come down a lot uh, to how each coach manages the squad. Um, obviously, if you're going to play the same foot starting 11 for four games within, I can't remember, I'm, I'm imagining it's going to be just over two weeks, um, they could really be puffing when it comes to the to the quarterfinals. So I think some kind of a rotation um in all positions is gonna be is gonna be very important, more important than than in most international tournaments. Yeah, the last group games are on the twenty eighth of June, Dan, which is uh a exactly two weeks then yeah. It's exactly two weeks, isn't it? Yeah. It, uh yes. it's two weeks and one day because they as I said they kick off on Sunday, technically, but then they really get going on, on the Monday because on Sunday, I think it is just Brazil v Venezuela uh, as the opening game. So, yeah, the group stage in. Uh, Colombia are playing Ecuador as well. Is that on Sunday? Oh, it is on Sunday. Sorry. Yes, yes of course it is. Yeah. thought it was on Monday. I was looking at the wrong bit on my phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the group stage itself is is slightly uh, farcical. I was discussing this on WhatsApp with, with my best mate a few hours ago. Um how silly the the Euro group stage is to play loads and loads and loads of matches and then only end up eliminating eight teams. But this one, we're playing not very many fewer. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many it is, but I think it's something like 28 games in the group stage. And we're going to be eliminating two teams. Um, if I've got that right, it's four... To, oh, it's 20 matches, in fact. It's, it's four, four matches per round and five rounds. So it's going to be 20 matches... And only the two fifth place teams will end up being eliminated uh, because, of course, as Dan already mentioned, the top four in each group will go through. So Bolivia and Venezuela are going to be going out and then the Copa America begins uh, as a straight knockout tournament from the quarterfinals onwards. Is that pretty much what we're expecting? Watch out for Bolivia. They've been in pretty good nick uh, these last couple of games. They they um... did get a point against Chile in the World Cup qualifier on Tuesday in hilarious circumstances, I thought. I think, and I think that's the first time they've avoided defeat away from home in two consecutive qualifiers since something stupid like 1992. Um, I don't know. Without looking it up to remind myself, I'm guessing that the previous one was away to Ecuador, right? No idea. Oh, really? Okay. Let's have a look. Because, I mean, that, that would seem the most likely given the altitude there. Um, where are we? World Cup qualifying Commonwealth matches Bolivia away Paraguay. Oh, of course, I forgot about the Paraguay draw. Yeah, mm. no, that is a, a fantastic pair of results for them. Then 
So in that case, the logical next question is, from Bolivia's group in the Copa America, which is group <laughs> group A, the same group Argentina are in, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, correct. Yes, it is. Who do we think is going out? Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Paraguay, Uruguay are the five teams in that group. I think Bolivia are, are still the favourites to go, go out, okay. to be fair. Cool. So, but I thought I'd mention, you know, because we don't... <laughs> I thought, because we don't give Bolivia... A, a whole lot of credit sometimes, apart from being very good playing up in the in the clouds. You know, it was worth pointing out that they haven't been as terrible as as they usually are in in the last couple of weeks. Indeed, I, I think also, also just for the record, I'll, I'll go on record as saying that if either Bolivia or Venezuela get out of their group and into the quarterfinal, I will be delighted. I'm not, you know, saying that uh, I, I wouldn't be at all embarrassed to be proven wrong because I I like them both, you know, and, and it's nice to see upsets, but. Realistically I speaking, think for Venezuela as well done pretty well in recent Copas America. I seem to think that they've never really managed to kick on since that um, World Youth Cup runners-up spot against England a, yeah, a few years see. ago. Though. 2019, just look. yeah, they finished in second in their group uh, alongside Brazil, and then they went out, of course, to um, to Argentina in the quarters. And I think 2011, they they got to the semi-final, the semi-finals, yeah. No, the, the quarterfinals as well, I think. Oh, yeah, that 2011. Yeah. But that was 10 years ago. Yeah, but they, they've been pretty um, pretty decent. They got to quarterfinals in 2016 as well. Uh, and 2015, they, they didn't get... So they have made, we can say, they've made the quarterfinals for three out of the last four tournaments. Oh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm putting too much stock in the World Cup qualifiers yeah. and forgetting about the short formats. Yeah, I think the World Cup qualifiers, you know, are being such you know such a long a long process and um, with um, with you know players jetting back and forth. Maybe that's that's not ideal for them, but you know, over a short space of time, they can get a couple of decent results. Yeah, although in passing, you've just uh, mentioned another issue during this Copa America for a lot of teams, which is the jetting back and forth, because uh, Comebol have given, have given the participating nations uh, the option of staying in their own country and only flying in. I think they're going to have to spend the night before each match in Brazil. Um, but Argentina have announced that they're going to be training throughout the tournament in Ezeiza, here in Buenos Aires, or, well, here just outside Buenos Aires, um, and just flying to Brazil the day before each of their matches. I'm not sure how many other countries are doing that. I, as you might have noticed, I've not yet sat down and really gone through, gone in hard on my commentary research. That would, of course, be one of the things I do look into for each country. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's going Bolivia to be. Bolivia has already. I don't know if you said this, but Bolivia has already arrived to, to, to Brazil. Uh, the first uh, the first team uh, that went to Brazil. Oh, they're staying in Brazil throughout the tournament. I think Uruguay have announced that they're staying in Brazil throughout the tournament as well. Or it might be... I might, I might have got them mixed up with somebody else, but I think I saw Uruguay announcing that. So what, Bolivia, Bolivia have flown in early to get used to sea level, I assume, <laughs> to uh, acclimate. That must be it. Yeah. Yeah, allow the blood oxygen levels to come down a bit or go up a bit. I can't work out which yes. way that round that goes. Uh, anyway... Um, can anybody challenge Brazil realistically for this title? I Can anyone break that 100% record at home that they've got? I think it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, not so much because of these crazy conspiracy theories, but just because Brazil 
objectively are a lot better than all the other teams in Commonwealth at the moment. We've seen it in the World Cup qualifiers. They're six from six, perfect 18 points from their opening games, albeit, you know, haven't played Argentina yet. Um, and I think in all those games, they've, they've barely broken a sweat. I think they've had to work a little bit hard to, to get the first goal on, on occasion, but from there it's been uh, very straightforward. Yeah, I'm looking at the table now, 16 goals in favour, uh, two goals against, I think, um, in all the time that, um, that Tite's been in charge of Brazil, they've lost a grand total of one competitive game, which was, of course, the World Cup quarterfinal or last 16 against uh, Belgium back in 2018. I can't remember which. Uh, they're just a very good team, very balanced across the field. Um, and you think barring some sort of unforeseen disaster or, or you know, just the games that can occasionally arise in knockout tournaments where one team just gets all the breaks, you know, sees Brazil hit their crossbar seven times and, and sneaks a goal or wins on penalties. Uh, if it's down on merit, you can't look past Brazil and even less so with, uh, with home advantage. One question, you mentioned the manager. Do they still have a manager because they were certainly trying quite hard to get him fired a week and a half ago. They have, yes. Um, there was a battle between the head of the FA and the coach, uh, Dide, as I mentioned. Um, the coach stayed and the FA president left because while he was waging his war against um, the Brazil team, who reportedly were ready to to pull out altogether of the copper this about this time next last week, um, recordings emerged of him really saying some really, really horrible things to a female employee. And I mean really, really, really disgusting things. Uh, so he got suspended with a speed unprecedented, we should say, um, among South American football governing body directors who can usually get away with at least six or seven murders um, before someone decides to rap them on the, rap them on the knuckles. Um, and I can't help thinking, uh, apologies to Handel Pod's lawyers if they're listening, uh, I can't help thinking that it's not entirely coincidental. Um, they realise that actually, yeah, uh, Tide's a pretty good coach. It's probably not a good idea to kick him out a week before the copper started. So if we have to give up this sexist, horrible, violent bastard, uh, let's do it. We've got, uh, got another problem off our hands. Was, was the players' angle on this all a bit overplayed then? Because I saw a few headlines suggesting that the players weren't happy with Tite either. I mean, I mean as far as I understood it, their, their um, reluctance, um, their kind of anger at how everything went down was was genuine. Um, uh, Casemiro is going to be the captain for the Copa America. He, he kind of give, he gave some very um, ambivalent but but fairly pointed remarks uh, after the, the Paraguay game last week, the first of these two qualifiers uh, against Ecuador, sorry, it was. Um, just kind of saying, look, uh, everyone knows what we think. Uh, we're going to say it. And and I think, yeah, more than anything, it, there was kind of some some serious work done behind the scenes to, to bring the, the squad back on board and... I think as well, they realised that uh, the other teams wouldn't necessarily follow their lead. And 
and won't pull out. So they just managed to strike a truce uh, just in time. And getting rid of the uh, sexist, violent bastard was um, seems to have been part of that that uh, arrangement. Thanks for the detail, Dan. Um, My pleasure. Shall we move on to listeners' questions, or does anyone have anything to add on the Copa, whether it's the Copa or the Argentine national team or whatever? Okay, I'm going to take that silence as permission to go through listeners' questions then, uh, and indeed listeners' comments, because um, this is episode 400, and one or two people have sent in some nice things to say about us. Three Games to Love says, as someone who's been trying to get into South American football over the last couple of months, I've really appreciated your show and can't wait for this one. So thank you very much. Welcome to the club. Uh, and we hope that we've not been disappointing over the last hour or so. Uh, Nate Cubeta says, in your expert opinions, how should this Copa America have been handled? Tony has already followed up on Twitter to say as epidemiologists, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's, you know, much as I'm just told you all I'm going to be commentating on bits of it, it shouldn't really be taking place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> obviously, I'm not going to be saying that on Monday night. Uh, but uh... No, the most um, logical and, and probably safest resolution would have been uh, to at least postpone it a couple of months because, uh, you know, we really are in a very difficult position here in South America with, uh, with COVID. Uh, there's a lot of infections. The, the vaccines have, have arrived very slowly. Um, it's not ideal at all. And I think that, you know, moving into July, August, uh, you'd start, start to see the light, light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, people have been a bit more vaccinated. You think cases, you know, I mean, they can barely go up anymore, so they'd, they'd have to come down a bit. But, of course, that's impossible because uh, if you play in August, uh, none of the... None of the clubs are going to want to release their players because they're already starting the new season, and and it just turns into a fiasco if you've got, you know, a, a tournament of ten teams sending B teams or only domestic players or or whatever the uh, the solution would be. So um, can I just say yeah. I think a Copa America of ten domestic based national teams could be really quite entertaining, and also Argentina oh. would probably stand a very good chance of winning it. I think it would be very good to see, but I really don't think the uh, the sponsors would be um, no <laughs> would be in agreement. That's that's the issue. There um, wouldn't be much money. No, I mean I know you know we all like to criticise Commonwealth, and um, most most of the time it's with absolute validity because uh, the way they make decisions is just farcical at times. But but I think you do have to commiserate with them a little bit because, you know, we're talking about everything that's happened, um, the social unrest in Colombia, the, the massive amount of cases in in Argentina. And and this is something that if you look back, I mean, even as recently as, as the start of April, I mean, perhaps you could have foreseen it, but, but it wasn't a reality at that point. So, I mean, this is definitely something that's um, that they've had to just handle as they go along, really, and you know, trying to keep ten different countries happy at you know a time where all of those countries are in the ship, basically, both in health terms and economically. I mean, I don't envy anyone that that job. I must admit. No, I, I think personally, I think postponing to next year would have been um, the, the the most workable solution. I mean, you yeah, talk so- about it, it was obviously very shortly before the World Cup, but 
maybe not playing it because you talk about the social unrest in Colombia as the reason that they took it off Colombia, the large number of cases and, and the governmental uh, disagreements over here about whether it could be uh, held here. But then you take it off Argentina and Colombia and you send it to Brazil where there is social unrest against the president and enormous numbers of cases. Um, and it just it doesn't seem very coherent. But one thing I did find, I kind of found it quietly quite amusing as well. I didn't see it. I, I have not been going on football Twitter, as I've mentioned uh, a few times in the last few months, really anymore. So I don't know whether this was picked up more widely. But uh, there were 10,000 Colombia fans at Colombia, Argentina in the World Cup qualifiers on Tuesday night. And there was a part of me that was thinking, is this Colombia's way of sort of sticking two fingers up to Conmebol and saying, see, we could have done it with fans in the stadium. We can do this because they were, I think they were the only country in South America to, to allow fans in for one of the World Cup qualifiers. Um, I just found it amusing that they announced that, I think, the day before the game um, and then managed to make it happen. And it, I just wondered whether it was a sort of calculated gesture in Conmebol's general direction. But more generally, um, yeah, as I say, probably delayed till next year or, or the year after that or just cancelled it but nobody wanted to cancel anything that they you know the olympics are going ahead the euros are going ahead at least the copa america have um updated the logo so it's the copa america 2021 which i'm actually i wasn't paying attention earlier but the euros haven't done that they're still officially euro 20 no they're calling it euro 2020 which yeah. really gets my tits um yeah for that reason alone uh common awards a step ahead see i, I quite I, I don't really mind it but it's, um, I didn't mind it. I hate it. C- C- Combo are much more practiced at having to fanny around with these things, of course, as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Perfect Tommy says, I don't have a question. I just wanted to say thank you for all the episodes and connecting me to the game and country I love. Uh, also, congratulations. Uh, Tony hasn't mentioned this himself yet, but he says congratulations to Tony on the new gig with California Storm Soccer. Um, Tony, do you want to fill us in on that one? I, you've got so oh. many new jobs these days that I, I find. Hard <laughs> yeah, to this up. week, this week has been it's been eventful. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna help um, our professional team in the United States with analysis and data and whatnot. Women's, obviously. But, yeah. Congratulations from all of us as well, there, Tony, and for the other thing that you're not talking about publicly. Um, Romy Mazunda. <laughs> says first of all massive congrats to sam and team 400 episodes is huge thank you very much compulsory question why did scaloni wait and include armani as if he's jan or black or even prime gg buffon what's so special about the guy now i mean as i said earlier i can only imagine that he's got tremendous dressing room banter or compromising pictures of Lionel scaloni um because including him in the squad seems strange does anybody have any other more yeah. I mean, particularly given the context, um, you'd say that if in normal circumstances, if he was included among the three starting keepers, um, you'd say fair enough. But given that he's riddled with disease, um, you probably had a, a decent enough reason to leave him at home. I mean, if it was messy, say you you might want to wait until the very last minute and swab him cada uh, every half hour to try and make sure um, he gets all the bugs out of him, but probably not even worth it with Armani. Um, I'd say the only justification I could find is that he was, in fact, Argentina's number one um, before 
this these last this last fortnight. He didn't lose the posts kind of on, you know, due to any failing of his own apart from his immune system. Uh, so perhaps it would have been a little harsh to, you know, to take him from number one keeper to out of the squad in just in one first sweep. But that's all I can imagine. Indeed. Uh, Jamie, uh, Mr. Newell's in English, uh, says, congratulations on 400. Thank you very much, Jamie. Two questions. One, are Colón here to stay or was the Copa win a once off? That's going to be an interesting one to see what happens with them over the winter because, of course, winning the Copa de la Liga means that they're into next year's Libertadores. So you would think that if they're up for it, then they have the chance to hang on to some of their bigger stars now and to maybe try and bring in a few talented players from elsewhere in the interior, at least, if not from the big Buenos Aires clubs, um, and see who wants to play Libertadores football next year. And also, if Eduardo Dominguez stays uh, as a coach, but mm. I, I think that they, they, they were benefit. They, of course, they played, they were clearly the, the, the best team, and that's something that not uh, not happens every time, that the, the team that comes champion is the, also the best team in the, in the, in the matches, in the uh, playing. Uh, but uh, I think that they were benefit in any way. They were benefit by the the, the way of playing the, the, that it was a Copa and not a league with uh, all of the teams playing one each other. But uh, if if Dominguez uh, Eduardo Dominguez stays and and like you said, they they sign uh, players to to play next Copa Libertadores. Perhaps that's something that they can they can keep and they can maintain. Yeah, maybe they can turn Luis Rodriguez into the. Eric Cantona of 2020s Argentine football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I, 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 they, they ought to at least try and look at themselves as wanting to, to challenge for one of the higher up spots in the league campaign. Obviously, we don't really know how much that means because we don't know what the league campaign is going to look like format-wise yet. I realise that the AFA announced this at the start of the year, but I don't trust them to actually stick to it. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting question to consider and Jamie also says Mono Burgos at Newell's ended as many predicted and you know in hindsight perhaps we can look at the advertising board falling on his head in his opening press conference and uh, see it as something of a a, uh, presaging he says our next manager is tipped to be the returning albeit underwhelming Fernando Gamboa what's your reaction I'll be honest with you Jamie I don't have much of a reaction to that news but perhaps one of the others does Please, someone. Say we, we should ask uh, news in English, perhaps. Well, that's, uh, that's the person who's asking the question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, I really don't know how, especially news uh, supporters, will think about. He's something, of course, identified with news, and uh, perhaps the other way around that with with Burgos. Burgos was not uh, someone uh, who had previously had an history with news and. And he, of course, he had the name uh, of uh, being having been the the, the, the assistant of, of Cholo Simeone at, at Atletico Madrid, but no history with Newell's in, in and for a change Gamboa has. So perhaps that's something different for for supporters in the in the sense of uh, having someone who knows the the club, knows the team, and, and perhaps uh, it's something very. In that case, it would be different, but. Uh, uh, I don't know what, what has, he has been doing recently to to have an opinion about the how how he can how 
can he build a team and, and that and that thing? I think he's a bit unlucky to be honest, because um, he came he came into Newell's when they were in an absolutely pitiful situation. I think they picked up something like one point from the first nine games of the uh, the Copa Liga, something like that, um, and they were really dreadful. Um, and you can just see in their squad um, what the problem is. You know, you've got, I think, four, four or five guys who are aged 35 or over, outfielders. I mean, if you're in goal, it's a little bit easier, but... Um, and then on the other hand, are like the teenagers or people who've got about, who've played about 20 games in Primera, just a horrendous squad to work with um, if you're actually looking to to change, you know, to put down a coherent way of playing. And, and he, you know, he picked up a few points. Um, I don't think it was an absolute disaster, his, um, his spell probably... They underperformed a little bit in the sort of Americana, but at the same time, you know, it's a team that that were rock bottom of um, of Argentine football. I don't think any team were were less impressive or or less successful than yours in in this last championships, and you can't exactly expect a lot there. Um, perhaps if he'd have had the chance to you know to shift a few players, bring in a few players, he could have made a team. Uh, a bit more to his liking, but I, I have to admit I'm not um, I'm not privy to the reasons behind his uh, his departure. I know it was very much expected after after the season finished. Um, yeah, it was always going to be a baptism of fire, I think, um, for his first job in football, and and I expect him to come back uh, very soon. Let's not forget someone like Hernan uh, Crespo. Uh, he didn't exactly pull up trees at Banfield, his first job, and then he came back at Defensive Justicia, had a really good run, and now he's um, he's on top of the world. Um, that's Argentine football, that's South American football for you. Like you're gonna have jobs which just don't work out, and I think um, I think he will come back. Yeah, I, th- I think as well in terms of Burgos's luck at Newell's as well. To an extent, it, it's Argentine football, and also to an extent, it's just Newell's over the last few years. I mean, there's there's been a sort of feeling of inertia, them, or you know, like playing with with lead boots um, to a degree. Mm. Uh, I, I, I kind of I, I want to say that they they look like they're relying a bit too much on an increasingly aging Maxi Rodriguez, except that he doesn't really look as if he's increasingly aging that much. He's you know still doing a decent job, um, but the rest of the team just aren't fitting in that much around him. Um, but yeah, thank you for two very interesting questions as ever, Jamie. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, happy 400th. Your thoughts on the continental draws? Also, what's next for Tevez after his Boca departure? Um, as I said, we'll try and give our thoughts on the continental draws in more detail uh, after the Copa America, but it's going to be perhaps a bit difficult to fit in a recording between the Copa America final and those draws actually starting. So my immediate thought, at least on the Libertadores draw, is please, God, not another Super Clásico in the Libertadores knockout stage. Uh, because as I mentioned earlier, if Boca beat Atletico Mineiro and River beat Argentinos, uh, then that is exactly what we will have. Um, gents, any other thoughts? Andres, how do you feel about River against Argentinos? Dan, how do you feel about Racing versus San Paulo? 
I think it will be more difficult than perhaps uh, other people may 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 think, uh, because they are a tough team and we, they beat us uh, in the Copa de la Liga uh, at the Monumental. Of course, it's different because on the one when there is this uh, uh, Copa Libertadores draws, River are, are tend to be stronger, but uh, they are not uh, difficult, uh, so so easy. Uh, team to beat, and uh, any Argentinian rival will be tougher, I think. So I don't see it so clear to, for River to win. Of course, it, they, they may be favourites, but not so favourites. Yeah, I, th I think that that sounds fair to me. I mean, Argentinos are certainly there on merit. A lot of what's going to affect it is going to be the winter transfer window, um, I suspect, because obviously River will almost definitely be hanging on to the vast majority of, of their stars, especially with nobody in Europe having really big money to throw about at the moment. Uh, whereas Argentinos, you think, might just be a little bit more susceptible to possibly having one or two players poached by bigger clubs in Argentina uh, or elsewhere in South America. Um, but yeah, and Dan, how, how do you rate Racing's chances against São Paulo? It's a pace, isn't it? Um, it, it? I mean, you already played each other twice in the group, didn't you? So. Yeah, not, not many surprises there, um... Like typical of Racing, I think, after a really strong uh, group stage um, to get drawn right against the, the best performing runners-up in the entire Libertadores. Um, it happened last year when um, they just got pipped for, for first place in the Libertadores group to Nacional and ended up with a run that included uh, Flamengo, Boca, and then it would have been and then it would have been Santos if they meant to get uh, past Boca, it's gonna. It's looking just as difficult for Racing this time because uh, after São Paulo, you're talking about Palmeiras probably in the quarterfinals, then Boca or River or Manado or, yeah, or Argentinos, let's say uh, to be fair, uh, in the in the semis. Uh, but you know, who can stop? Who can stop PC? The PC's. Um, Good luck. Uh, let's hope it, you know, it sticks. And the Cologne game was just a, a one-off, a blip, and and he can carry us through. Um, I didn't see that much about San Paulo to be worried about, but uh, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. Um, Belles against Barcelona and Defensa Justicia versus Flamengo both look like potentially pretty entertaining ties to me. And we've seen Defensa come up against some huge Brazilian sides. Uh, since they made their continental debut, what, three or four years ago now? Um, and they've blooded a fair few noses, so I'm not particularly surprised to see them in this stage of the competition. Um, playing Flamengo, you know, the, the champions in 2019, is, is a, a huge draw for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, they can do it. Vélez showed in the group stage that Flamengo can be um, got at. So it, it's going to be interesting. I think all of the fixtures look mouth-watering to... Uh, we'll have to see... I'm sorry. We'll have to see what happens with Brian Romero. The, 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 he has an incredible record uh, with, I think, the 18 goals in 18 matches in the international uh, stage. So and he has been mentioned for Boca, then for River. Uh, if he stays, they will have... A, they are a great man to, to, to be... Uh, I mean, to, to be... Uh, able to to pass Flamengo because he is one of the keys for for them for for the recent uh, Copa Sudamericana and Recopa that they they, they have have won. 
Mm. Yeah, good call. Um, Liam also asks, what's next for Carlos Tevez after his Boca departure? How could we have forgotten to mention that? Carlos Tevez, ladies and gents, cool. has left Boca Juniors. Uh, probably nobody will really notice, given the performance he's, he's put in over the last year or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, what is next? He's not retiring, is he? Or is he? I mean, he's he's not retiring, but he's also not playing at the moment. Uh, he's leaving himself open. Um I think from, I mean, he said in his press conference that he needs some time to um, to mourn his dad, who's not actually his dad; it's his uncle. Hmm. Um, his family story is very, uh, very sad and very convoluted. But um, his uncle slash dad uh, passed away in February, right before the season started, and since then, you know, Boca have played what three games a week, every single week, right between. Uh, the Copa Liga, Copa Libertadores, and Copa Argentina. I mean, he feels like he hasn't had any time to to take off, which you know he hasn't. Uh, so I think the next um, the next few weeks uh, is going to be time with the family, probably a lot of golf, uh, nine tevers, and and then seeing where he stands going into 2022, either retirement or. Or MLS probably, I think, are the most likely scenarios. Um, I'd probably lean towards the former, personally. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but indeed, those are all of the questions. So I think that that's probably it for this week. There is no Mystic Sam because we're going into international. Well, we're continuing with the international break. Um, so for now, thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you. Uh, for listening for 400 episodes in one or two cases. I don't know how many of you there are who were around when episode one first hit the internet. Um, But thank you very much for your support over that time. Uh, And for now, it's goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Goodbye. From Tony. Goodbye. And from me, thank you and goodbye. (laughs) 